Welcome, everybody, to episode 230 of the Metabolist 2 podcast, which features myself, Ben. And I am David, and we are following hot on the footsteps of hot. our 1960s designer discussion with the 1970s. Ah, da, 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 what a surprise. Excellent. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I had a hard time choosing. There's a lot. This is my favorite era, and there's a lot of designers that I like their work. Yeah, and I wanted to I wanted to be fair and, and kind of spread. I mean, we could, we're only picking five each, yep. but there are two doctors. So mm-hmm. one doctor's going to have two, and the other doctor's going to have three. And then I'm trying to do a spread across across the doctors. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's what yeah. I've tried to do. So we'll see. When I was considering which sets and which designers to include, I was thinking that perhaps we would make it even harder on each other and would not be able to repeat designers. So if if you called a designer, then that would eliminate all that other's designs for that designer. Goodness. But I decided that would be way too hard because there's a certain designer I really like his work. Right, right. And I was tempted to include multiple, multiple instances of it, but I might not. Okay. We'll we'll have to see. We'll have to see how it shakes out. Yeah, um, well, I I have got seven written down here, and I'm... Okay. If we double up, I might quickly pivot to others, but... Very good. Certainly. I I mean, there are some... I haven't gone for the obvious. I haven't gone for the obvious. Hmm. Yeah, Hmm. interesting. That that makes me also worried, because I was also the going hmm i think ben would choose this so we uh, we might might be an air ball <laughs> right <laughs> some of the sets well um who wants to who, who well, i'll off flip a time? coin uh okay. i'll flip a coin and okay, heads or tails the gallifrey and coin of some kind um i will have heads heads it is your choice oh, i okay i will go second you can start okay uh for my first nomination for the 1970s designer i am going with jeremy bear okay who designed the mutants the john pertwee story okay and the reason why i chose this one is i think it is very of its time and it captures a nasa ethos it's space age looking forward in the early 1970s i can see influences of all these designers that nasa would employ to sketch out like what space stations would look like in the future what would the shuttle look like in the future so the overlord sky base sky base yes is very reminiscent of the future looking how NASA was seeing the future in the late sixties, early 1970s. And then on top of it, the sets for Sundergaard's laboratory or research cave center, the Solon's encampments. It's, I think a very eclectic uh, mix of different styles. Mm -hmm. But like I said, I think the overlord sky base is something out of NASA futuristic artwork of late 60s and early 1970s. And Jeremy Bear nailed it. Uh, what do you think of the idiosyncratic spelling? Well, that is uh, uh, Baker and Martin's doing. And I think Bear incorporates that design well into what that futuristic sense. The font. Font's good. That's what I, yeah, The yeah. font selection. Yeah, the font selection, I think, is key to carrying off that future sense. And it all works well with uh, have you got your oxy mask, I think, is one of the phrases. That, have yeah, you got that, your oxy mask? Yeah, that's, yeah. Um, I think that was a phrase that was on um, COVID masks. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Courtesy of Clay, Clay Hickman. The font reminds me a lot of what they would use for K9's logo. Right, right. It's the that, word K9 later. Yeah, it's that 2001. I can't remember what it's technically called now, but it's derivative mm-hmm. of that, I think. Yeah, I probably should have looked it up, but... Yeah, well, you know. It works. It's a computerist. It's early 70s computer font. Yeah, and it has the the, the sets also have that. And I again, I, there's a lot of it about this on the internet, but they have that um, that uh, uh, that kind of Buckminster Fuller triangular mm-hmm. um, lattice structure that you can see throughout Doctor Who serials and also movies as well, used a lot throughout the 1970s for evoking some kind of spacecraft or space station. It's that Buckminster Fuller reusable design, modularity. Yep. Yep. You can imagine that the sky base was assembled from various subcomponents and affixed together. And it, I think what really reminds me of the space, NASA Space Agency is the use of the dark blue right. and the white. And then around the doorways, the door jams, he has them traced in red paint. So that red, white, and blue subtly indicates to me America also could envision the Union flag for Great Britain. It has those elements in it. And there's always these uh, design element of looks like they're like uh, electrons circling a nucleus. Right, right, right. Where George Prop, I forget his character's name, but he's the research scientist on Skybase. His laboratory has these massive pieces of equipment, but they also seem very of their time, very space agency. It's not far-flung future. It's like a parallel parallel history where Earth is just a little bit more advanced and you have the Victorian colonization, but now in space. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Yep, it's a nice one. It's slightly left-field choice, um, which I commend you for. But yeah, the set design for the mutants is excellent. Thank you. So for my first choice... I'm gonna be. Uh, this is this is gonna. Uh, this is this this is one you might have been expecting, but was it the one that you're expecting? I'm looking <laughs> at the designer David Myerscough Jones mm. um, for for my next choice, um, and I'm gonna go with Day of the Daleks. Interesting. Yes. 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 So presumably he's some kind of favorite of mine. Um, I just really like the design on Day of the Daleks. Day of the Daleks gets a bad rap for some reason from fans. I don't know why. I mean, I think obviously, you know, the Dalek voices, uh, I'm told, are not good. Um, I tend to, <laughs> if I'm watching it, I do tend to watch the revoiced edition. Mm-hmm. Uh, there aren't enough Daleks, certainly, that's true. But then I think actually not having enough Daleks makes the Daleks more threatening. It's like, well, they don't have, have a whole army. We've got Ogrons. Everyone loves Ogrons. Ogrons are awesome. Anyway, but the reason I think the Country House, Orderly, orderly Edge, whatever it's called, um, orderly House mm-hmm. is excellent. That Country House set is very, very effective. Right. You really get into like, ooh, this is some kind of ghost. I mean, obviously, it's not a ghost story because it's got Daleks in the title. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this is this this is could be a ghost story of some kind. And then you you know, you toggle directly into you know you into the into the alternative future where the Daleks have won and have subjugated mankind, and they had that kind of cool kind of multi-level sort of conversation pit yeah. style sort of 70s control room mm-hmm. with people kind of sitting at different levels. You have to sit cross-legged on the floor sort of a little bit in order to converse. Mm-hmm. Everyone's got makeup, weird makeup on, which I guess isn't isn't, um, isn't Markov Jones's uh, uh, fault. 
but it certainly adds to the kind of weirdness of the whole thing. Um, I like the um, the implication that not only have Daleks kind of conquered the Earth physically, but they've also kind of conquered us mentally as well. Yeah. And there isn't really a place for humanity to go at this point other than to continue to serve the Daleks. Mm-hmm. And the kind of weirdness of the set sort of feeds into that. And I, I find it very effective. I like what they do in the control center where it's mostly reflective silvery surfaces. Exactly. But then this soft green light to kind of accent all that. So you get like Aubrey Woods is as the controller. His face is all shiny. And yes. a lot of and a lot of times, and then you get the green glints off his face from the lighting, and it's also reflected off of the walls. So I think that adds to that sci-fi futuristic uh, provenance <laughs> of the sets. And as everyone knows, the color of monsters is green. green yes. So uh, to have a, a green that is the, the set is suffused with a kind of re- a reflected green. It really plays into this idea of, you know, the, of, I mean, I suppose it's, again, as usual, it's, it's a Second World War thing, and the humans in that control center are collaborators with the invader. But it has this kind of wonderful feeling that there is no, there is no way forward, and that we have been not only physically subjugated by the Daleks, we've also been mentally subjugated by the Daleks. And to break out of that conditioning, which, of course, the controller does at the very end, is something of, you know, kind of a supreme effort. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so congratulations to David Myerscough Jones. He is the master of the the set that makes a this thing that is solid, apparently, but makes a noise when you step on it that that it says, "Well, actually, it's not solid; it's hollow." Very good, very good. And there's, in addition to orderly house, he also does the tunnel, the bridge tunnel, the train bridge tunnel. So he he's a master of the tunnel. He is juggling. <laughs> yeah, he is like you said, the master of the tunnel. He is juggling the futuristic and the very mundane and recognizable to the contemporary viewer, too, in Orderly House. And you've reminded me, he was the designer for the Web of Fear, <laughs> which again means he is the master of the tunnel. Yes. Because he created a, a very effective, and of course I referenced him in our last um, in our last discussion, so that point still stands. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, there you go. Right, so my next choice, yes. and... I am going to... Okay. I'm, I'm intrigued already. I am going to go with Kenneth Sharp. Ah! Snap! But, I, ah, but which Kenneth Sharp are you going to go with? I am going to go with Claws of Axos. And I was going to go with Claws of Axos as well. No. Okay. Claws of Axos it is. You can have Claws of Axos. Uh, <laughs> All right, I will take Claws of Axis, and the reason for Claws of Axis is entirely for the inside of the Axis. Oh, absolutely. It's it's tip-top. And for the excellent use of CSO. This is CSO used properly, combined with setting to create a really, I mean, to borrow a phrase, psychedelic monster environment habitat with Claws of Access. Uh, the other sets aren't anything to sneeze at. The Research Center, the Nuclear Power Research Center, that's fine. But really, the big important set that really sets the tone, the otherworldliness, the alienness of Access is 
inside the Axis spaceship and the organic feel of it with the big eye camera with veins on it with kind of a greenish hue that would contrast with the very orange Axis walls and then the floor even details to the floor you see the floor looks all spongy and you have uh, dangly things down it and it just really feels alien it feels just it 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 really is a strong set design and it's it helps sells the axis as something out of this world yeah, I'm interested to point out that you've chosen two Bob Baker, Dave Martin stories. Um, Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why. I think I have a theory for that. If you, okay. I was looking at it, is much of Pertwee's era is earthbound. So if you were going to have creative or innovative set design that isn't just replicating what you would see normally in 1970s uh, John Pertwee era, you're going to have to have some kind of alien aspect of it. And I think for my you know my my two bits uh, cause of access really conveys that for doctor who yeah and i think i mean it's it's interesting because obviously baker and martin i think are notorious for for de- not demanding but for putting forward uh, things that were very hard to realize on a mm-hmm. 1970s uh, bbc one budget um and i think i think shark really delivers here the interior of the axos spaceship is actually quite like a 1970s um, a British interior um, in, so, <laughs> in some ways so you actually did get what um, what you thought you wouldn't get one thing uh, I, I mean spoiler alert uh, Kenneth Sharp also designed Robots of Death um, yes. which is a big favourite of mine also the Macro Terror which is another reason why why can't someone find the Macro Terror and um, show mm-hmm. us what that was like because the combination of kind of futuristic domesticity and psychedelia, which I think are exemplified in both Claws of Axos, in Claws of Axos and the Robots of Death, those two things come together in Macro Terror. So that possibly could have looked really amazing. Anyway. Yeah. Good design there yeah. on Good Kenneth Sharp's Preps. Well done, Kenneth. Well done, Kenneth. Um, yep. A top tier Doctor Who designer. Top, top, top tier. Um, so I'm not going to do Claws of Axos, obviously, because um, uh, we just talked about it. Um, yep. My third, second choice is going to be Planet of the Spiders. Oh, okay. Oh, that like is that, kind of a surprising choice. choice. Yeah, I'm... yeah, it is an odd choice. Um, well, you know, I, I wanted to, you know, again, uh, uh, is there any bad set design in Doctor Who? Mm, yeah, probably. But anyway, um, it isn't Planet of the Spiders. And unusually for Doctor Who set designers, this was designed by a lady designer. Mm-hmm going all Adam Partridge there for a second. Um, it was designed by a woman called Rochelle, uh, Rochelle Selwyn. And this was the only thing she designed for Doctor Who. She appears to have been a jobbing, according to the internet, um, you know, just a, a, a BBC designer. Mm-hmm. Um, she interestingly, I noted, designed for uh, 1990, which is a very seldom seen British dystopian drama starring Edward Woodward um, and various other amazing British actors. Which is a kind of a, a kind of depressed future. It's written by a man called Wilfred Greatrex, and one of the interesting things about it, and it's unusually for a dystopia, it is a dystopia from a right-wing perspective. Hmm. So, 1990s, what would happen if the lefties took over? Um, it would be awful because we'd all <laughs> it, the unions would be in. It's, it's that it's which is which is kind of fun because usually it's the other way around. Right. It's like what would happen if the righties took over? Right. So again, it's kind of grim and dour. 
and kind of beige coloured because it's the 1970s. And I think that actually fits quite nicely with what I like about Planet of the Spiders. It is kind of dour. Uh, and beige and despite the you know the kind of shooty bang bang uh, vehicle excitement as to celebrate John Pertwee um the the 1970s interiors are actually pretty a uh, pretty good and pretty um convincing including again something i like the, the creepy old house because again you know it has elements of a ghost story and we don't really know what's going on with those creepy spiders right um and then the toggle to the Again, you know, a colony of humans who have been taken over to such an extent by an alien force that there is no real way forward for them, um, which is something I kind of like. You like that theme? I do like that theme. Um, what I think is especially effective is the spider rooms, which are spider scale. Uh, you really get the feeling you had to kind of maybe even stoop to get into those spider rooms where the spiders sit on their special spider platforms, right. um, which I, which I find very effective. And the way they, obviously the way they wiggle around is, is nothing to do with, um, with Rochelle, but the spiders are kind of presented front and center, those kind of mm-hmm. white rooms, um, those kind of feeling low light rooms with the, um, with the platforms really sets off the spiders nicely. And then the, the majesty of the, the final, big bad reveal with the great spider herself is she called the great spider come on what she's called now the great one that's it um that's oh, the great one i know brilliant it's got this this horrible kind of squeaky voice and it's a giant huge giant spider and it's all kind of blue mm-hmm. the color of evil of course in in um in planet of the spiders is blue not green <laughs> and i just like it very much it's it's a, it's kind of understated yes very effective design on a budget mm-hmm it's a CSO set, I think, the great ones. It is, oh, yeah, of course, yes. Lair. But it's, yeah. again, good use of CSO. I mean, I haven't referenced some of the 1970s episodes that feature a bad use of CSO, right. <laughs> um, obviously, because what would be the point? But there are there, there, there are ones that do, mm-hmm. don't uh, use CSO that well. But Panther Spiders does a really good job. The spider room where all the spiders on the platform, I think she does really nice uh, tying in a kind of a web design with the kind of lines that go up, up, right. from, the, the, up from their platforms, up, up on the walls. So it, I think she incorporates what we would think of spiders because even like on the platforms where they're sitting on, they have lines converging into the center on each, each of the spiders. So they seem like this is what you would think of a spider design with webs it's still there weirdly um it's it, it always feels to me and maybe it's because it was very um uh, i mean i remember this i remember watching this very very clearly when i was a kid um it seems to be the kind of place that spiders would design if they were super intelligent spiders you know yeah. it's, it's not a big web is what i kind of like about it it's like well no we, of course we're spiders Webs is what we do because we're spiders, but actually we're not going to do like a big web or something that's just like a giant web in, in, in a room. And we're going to do some, something slightly different. And I, I sort of find that kind of effective. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. You know, they're on, as said, they're on these kind of, um, yeah, I mean, obviously they're on platforms because they're not real spiders. They're models of spiders. Uh, <laughs> and I think it would they'd be hard to animate if they were just in a big web. It was a big casting controversy in, it was, in the yeah, early 70s they, that they didn't hire 
real spiders. They didn't hire actual spiders. <laughs> yeah, it was disgraceful, actually. I mean, I, 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 how could they? They wouldn't do that nowadays. They'd get real spiders. Um, so yeah, uh, well done. And even the, even the, even the planet with the. Yeah. With what the, do you um, think with, of that Metabulous Three I, Hippie Village? I like it. Yeah. Okay. I like it. I like the Hippie Village. It feels kind of. Um, Again, it feels like it's, it's, it has this idea that, you know, that we've sort of given up a little bit. And, yeah, Spider's in charge. Um, we live in huts now, which I like. What I like about it is you have that repetitive design element with the diamonds and the triangles. And it really seems to me uh, the the villagers look like they're on, in a commune, but then also their commune or their village looks like it's a commune, too, that you have that design feel to it with it's it's almost as if it's a north african tile motif yeah yeah and it's, it said it has this kind of commune feel to it and again very much like invasion of the dinosaurs and a lot of other doctor who from the you know late 60s early 70s you know he loves to lay into uh you know hippiedom and mm-hmm. communes and you know people thinking that you know ecologically minded people doctor who's really a kind of in some ways can be a slightly reactionary show when not written by um, by Barry Letts um, <laughs> or Malcolm Bulk, who are uh, right. the other direction. Right. Um, but this one is, you know, this one is is anyway. So yeah, I like it very much. Kudos to Rochelle Selwyn for um, designing it. Super. Yeah. Okay, for my third choice, I'm going with my favorite all-time designer of Doctor Who, Roger Murray Leach. Oh, he's on my list as well. I'm going to go for the most obvious one for me, which would be the twofer, the Ark in Space and Revenge of the Cybermen set design oh. uh, for Nerva Beacon. Okay. To me, this screams space station. This is what I like. You like space stations, don't you? I like my space stations. This is why I came from Star Wars to Doctor Who in the uh, early 80s, looking for space, space, space stuff. And this space station, Nerva Beacon, with the multi-story, the two-story, three-story view where all the sleepers were, effective use of mirrors, the effective use of backdrops to have the star fields, and then to reuse it in Revenge of the Cybermen to have uh, to, to have familiar but still uh, a, a different approach to the story, I think is wonderful. And you have not only are you re- reusing the set, but even just small details like the dotted design that he sprayed on or that had sprayed on the floor, I think is really distinctive and you see it in both stories so you can see the continuity of nerva beacon through various places in doctor who history or the the, in the human history the timeline uh, with different different equipment and it just really strikes me as uh effective economical space design and yes you can hear the extras kind of squeaking when they are in the sleeping containers in Ark in Space. True. But <laughs> it still conveys what this is. And I think stylistically, it's fantastic. And I guess the last thing I'll add to that is inside where you have that bank of drawers with all the microfiche in there with Animal Botanical and uh, that big yellow, that those big yellow blocks... It just seems to me 
practical, like this is not set design. This is, we're designing because this is the way this would be used. This is, Absolutely. This is there for a purpose. Everything is there for a purpose. Absolutely, and I think a nice contrast that is is with is with uh, is with um, uh, you know obviously I like all I like um, I like all Doctor Who basically. Um, I mean, one thing that's all, and we talked about this. But one thing that's always kind of amused me about certain episodes of Doctor Who is when, um, and I think the, the the prime example is um, is Colony in Space, where we talk about the Time Lords files, mm-hmm. um, and they're all in a filing cabinet, like files would be, yeah. which is like a poor piece of design. Mm-hmm. Here, one can imagine, yeah, the, the the files, yeah, they should be in a filing cabinet like files would be. But no, we've actually designed some drawers which have like weird blocks and stuff. Yeah. It's a sci-fi thing. It's like in the future, we're not going to have files in a filing cabinet if we need to, to store things and have things in order. They're going to be stored in some kind of futuristic way that we haven't come up with yet. And this is what is done very well here. And I think it's a it's indicative. I'm not going to call out the, the designer of Colony in Space because um, I don't know who it is. But, I mean, I think Roger Murray Leach does an excellent job here. and I'm supposed to be designing something that's in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and here it is. I've designed it. It's future. It makes sense. It's a big bank. It's like a card catalog, but for a microfiche. It's small drawers and microfiche each. They're each in blocks. Inside the blocks, there is a number on them. So you can immediately access this. It bridges that digital analog divide. Right. Where for longevity... They're using an analog technology, but you can still access it really. You can imagine that you would look up on the Nerva Beacon computer and say, oh, pull out drawer uh, 6B, and you would go right to it. And then you'd look at uh, scan it in on your microfiche reader or something. So it it bridges that survival base that they're doing for Nerva Beacon. So the Ark in space and then just the reuse again in uh, Revenge of the Cybermen. You know, it admirably demonstrates time travel, <laughs> um, which is something Doctor Who really doesn't do enough. Certainly, you know, in its kind of earliest years, it's like, yeah, you've, it's the same place. It's just a different time. So, mm-hmm. of course, it looks the same. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so for my third choice, I'm also going to go with Roger. Excellent. Murray Leach. Um, I, I'm doing Planet of Evil. Ah. <sighs> Yes, you see, yeah, I've gazumped you with that one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is just perfection. I mean, obviously, some budget was found, and we go straight off to the film studio, and we really have, I mean, a jungle that has never been bettered, in my opinion. Certainly not in Doctor Who, obviously. Mm. Um, but actually, in a lot of other things, um, mm-hmm. space jungles, obviously, space jungles are, uh, happen quite a lot. And uh, I think this jungle is, it's horrible, it's drippy, it's weird. It's shot on film, which is, again, I mean, I think for, for the modern eye, the kind of difficult toggle between filmed, uh, filmed who and videotaped who uh, can be, uh, can be difficult. Um, but for me, the genius of this aspect is that having that jungle on film tells me that it's real, that they went out to a weird jungle in space and they filmed it in that weird jungle and then they had to do, like, studio bits, mm-hmm. which is also, which is kind of what they did, um, but also not what they did because they didn't go into space and film a weird jungle. Um, so it works brilliantly. I mean, there's pools. They, they splash through water. I mean, just compare it to, you know, the jungles of Spiridon or or the... Um, uh, 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 the Kinder uh, jungle. <laughs> <laughs> the kinder jungle with a like okay it's just a studio with some stuff on it absolutely perfect mm-hmm. and you really get a sense of threat from that jungle and you need that sense of threat because you have an invisible monster i also like the interior of the spaceship yeah the morestrian spaceship has nothing to sneeze at it's a great 
it's a great contrast. You have this very, very organic jungle with this kind of mysterious evil monster hanging around in it. Um, and then you have this very austere, um, and they are very soulless and austere people, the Morestrians. Um, uh, you know, they're not quite Vulcans, obviously, mm-hmm. but they're certainly quite emotional, uh, unemotional and kind of military. Except for um, Prentice Hancock. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think, the, you know, the, the, the way the way that, you know, the way right. that, that that kind of breaks. Right. They're kind of like the anti, I always saw them as, as being kind of the anti-Star Trek. You know, mm-hmm. basically what we had is like um, we had the Starship Enterprise lands on a planet and some things happen and the crew of the Morestrian ship are kind of the crew of the Enterprise mm-hmm. um, but a lot more interesting character-wise to me um, because there's a lot more tension and there's a lot more breakage. You know, they don't have to return to... They don't have to reset at the end of every episode to be back the way that they were. Right. So, yeah, a big favorite of mine and the set really helped sell the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And there's two sets on the Morestan spaceship that are of, of two tiers. The first, yes. the first set that we see of the bridge where they're on two different tiers, but then where they transport the TARDIS onto their ship. Yes, like Star Trek would do. Yeah, and you, you see them looking down at the TARDIS. The use of multi-levels that Murray Leach uses in here, and then when they're in the jungle, leaving the Morestrian spaceship to go to the jungle, and then the pit where the Doctor falls into the antimatter pit. Again, uh, a second level. So it's all good stuff. Like with the Ark in Space, just the, the multi-levels that Murray Leach brings to his set designs, it's fantastic. Fantastic. And I'll just do a quick shout-out to the Space Coffins, that Sarah and the Doctor get put into. It's another, there's another multi-level there. And those gave me nightmares for weeks as a child, mm-hmm. um, being stuck in those space coffins and then squirted out into space, yeah. which totally seemed like what was going to happen to them. Beautifully designed. They move wonderfully. They're built nicely. The whole thing is completely believable. Yeah. Uh, the slightly ropey plot is completely sold to us by the excellence of the design. Yeah. Which yeah. is which is the point. Yeah. Right. So, for my next story, mm-hmm. I am going with Paul Allen, who designed Seeds of Death and Spearhead from Space, which are neither of my choices, but I'm going with its design for Horror of Fang Rock. Oh, interesting choice. Like it. Which is an, an entirely on a sound stage in Birmingham. Pebble Mill. Pebble Mill. And if you look at the production photos, you can see that it's like a theater production. They're on a stage. You have the rocks on a on a wooden stage. If you listen carefully, you can sometimes hear the stage creak. But if you're visually watching it with the fog and the rocks and the camera angles, it really feels like you're out on Fang Rock. And then the lighthouse, very, very... Again, excellent use of CSO for the light room where you're looking out across the water. Um, you have the different levels. You have the engine boiler room, generator room. Then you have the crew quarter. Then you have the lamp room. It all feels very claustrophobic, tightly integrated, and it adds to the ominous creepiness of the Rutan attacking. And then you, you can just... You, the, the the enclosed nature of it when 
the doctor goes, I've made a terrible mistake. I thought I was locking the enemy outside and locking it inside with us. Phone calls coming from inside the house. Yeah, and it's just sort of like, whoa. Yep. And you're in this really small lighthouse, and it's and we, the viewer, knows what's going on, but boy, they're just sitting ducks in there in this Terrence Dick story, and just, just for once, nobody lives, basically. <laughs> um, so my family and I, um, obviously, we all went to the theatre last week mm -hmm. in Minneapolis um, at the Guthrie Theatre, and yeah. we saw Murder on the Orange Express, mm. which was really pretty good. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously, I'm not obviously, but the point I'm going to make is that Horror of Frank Rock, it's really one of, it's, it's, it's another, like, like the adventure that we've sort of just come from, Robots of Death, it's a, it's a, it's an Agatha Christie story. You know, these people are trapped in one environment, in one set, and they're slowly being picked off one by one by some kind of murderer. And, right. uh, you know, our job is to work out who that murderer is, what the hell is going on. Very claustrophobic. Yeah, I think it's hard. I would have said it's hard to design a set to be filmed in a, in a multi-camera way that doesn't, that is, um, uh, that is properly claustrophobic. Uh, uh, and I think he does it very well here. And, you know, you, you, you really think, you really feel you're inside that lighthouse. Um, it, it feels and you, like a lighthouse. Track. Yeah. Yep, it does. It's, it's crazy because, I mean, it's obviously not a lighthouse. Mm -hmm. It's a soundstage in, uh, in Pebble Mill. Um, so, yeah, brilliantly done. Uh, you know, obviously done on a budget because we're Doctor Who in the kind of mid-1970s. But very beautifully realized. A smart by Dick's to set it in a slash Victorian Edwardian times because mm -hmm. all the costumes are right there in the costume store. Right. Don't have to design anything from space. So again, keep the cost down. The, uh, uh, the villain is a, is, is a, is, is a little bit of, um, uh, is, is very well realized. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and, um, yeah, no, and the, the, as, as we were saying, we were saying with Planet of Evil, you know, the job of the set is to sell the story and the story is completely sold by this one. Yeah, you believe you're in a lighthouse, the curved walls, just the use of Alan's use of curves in this when you're in curved walls, when you're going up the curved staircase. And that also adds to the mystery because you never know who's going to be walking. Is it going to be Reuben or is it going to be right. someone else walking down this the stairwell? Because you can't see the whole the whole view. And so I was looking at the lamp room specifically and I had and growing up in Minnesota. There's Split Rock Lighthouse that is open to the public. Oh, yes. And so it's a lighthouse. everything really felt familiar. It felt like the details were right because I had been in a lighthouse and this is the way the lamp room would would look. And I know we're not talking about sound design, but even the sounds of the rotating beacon and the generator, it just all tied together to make this really claustrophobic. And then, like we've said, this is on a soundstage in Birmingham, Pebble Mill. But the sets are small, but they're just big enough. And then where there might be shortcomings, where other designers might use curtains or something, there's this ample use of the BBC fog machine that kind of encloses and conceals anything that might not be what you want to see on the screen. So like the stage floor at Pebble Mill. So it just, it just works effectively well and it's not a spaceship. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yep. No, it is. But I mean, it could be a spaceship. It's, you know, it's, it's a, we are, we're trapped. We're trapped in a void and something's out to get us. It's, it's um, excellently done. 
Yeah, you could envision this story being set in a spaceship where they couldn't get out and something's gotten in. It, it's effectively aliens uh, or alien type of uh, plot. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Right, um, I am going to go on to my fourth choice, dun, 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 which is Tony Snowden okay. and the Sunmakers. Makogeni! <laughs> <Yeah. Mahogany. laughs> <laughs> um, which um so we're off to pluto um we're off to megropolis one yep i mean i it says here and i've got no reason to disbelieve them tony snowden also designed sea devils or not so good but also vengeance and varos which is like actually a really similar story in some ways mm -hmm. i think i just love the color scheme here i like the use of exteriors and real sets which i guess is the director not the set designer but the whole the the other the office of the collector and the gatherer with those kind of multi layers again, all mm -hmm. in this kind of sort of, you know, salmon pink. And then the great, that lovely, that lovely, uh, the, 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 the logo, which is a kind of Aztec sun face, which is yes. like, wow, that's, that's, that's weird. Why do they design that? And then the, you know, those kind of big printouts of kind of computer circuitry that kind of make up the stuff. I did not like the set design of this at the time. I thought it was too, uh, when I was a child, I, this is too alien. I don't understand what's going on here, but I've come to really appreciate this because it is alien. You don't really know what's going on. And that's exactly how it should be because that is so far in the future that um, humanity, again, they've been taken over by an alien force um, who are basically are the tax men. <laughs> and we don't really have anywhere else to go at this point, um, literally, because we're on Pluto. So, yeah, it work, works very well. Very, very, very neatly done. And, uh, again, just thinking of kind of claustrophobia, Leela being steamed alive in the steaming chamber, again, gave me nightmares for weeks as a kid. Very, very effective use of cantaloupe or melon color. <laughs> kind of. Yes, exactly. It's this peachy yes, orange yeah. color throughout. Peachy, pinky, weird sort of restful color. Yeah, you know, it's it's not it's not the color that the Daleks would pick. Um, the Daleks <laughs> would pick green. Right. It's not the color that giant spiders would pick. They pick blue. Is this the color that someone would pick who is trying to calm you down and make you subservient enough to just endlessly pay your taxes on time? It's institutional. Institutional. It's an institutional, yep. institutional orange. It's like a, like a, it's like a <laughs> yoga pink. It's, it's excellent. Uh, and, and, and just beautifully done. Um, and again, you know, obviously this is, we are, very definitely running out of money as an, as an entire country at yes. this point. The way that they can, these interiors are conveyed is very economical, but also very effective. It mm -hmm. feels like a big open space. The levels make it seem effective. And um, yeah, I just like it very much. It looks good. Mm -hmm. The thing I like about the gatherer or the collector's uh, office is the big pink ribs when uh, Cordo, I think, walks in. It's like you're walking through uh, the belly of a whale. Right, right. <laughs> and even though they're just non-structural, right. they're more uh, aesthetic, it does feel like you're passing through something. And the way the set is designed and the way it's lit where you have the color elements with the, the pink ribs or the, the desk and the DS where, where um, Gatherer Hague, Hague is. Everything else is black. So it's like you said, a minimalist set design because of, of probably budgetary reasons. Absolutely. But it is using lighting 
to focus where the money has actually been spent. It's it's focused on the fantastic sun emblem right. that's in the background. It's focused in on the gatherer's desk, and it feels a lot bigger because of effective use of lighting, uh, effective scenery elements. And probably about a decade ago in the Portland area, Portland, Oregon area, they had Shakespeare in the park. And I thought the Sunmakers would be a good Doctor Who in the park story because yeah. you can convey this with very minimal sets. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it feels like a stage set, um, but in a good way. Mm-hmm. It feels like the kind of megalomaniac office that the Collector and the Gatherer would construct for themselves because it's different mm-hmm. from everywhere else. And yeah, yeah works, works, works beautifully. Works beautifully. So good choice. Thank you. Good choice. For my final final selection, I have so many I'm leaving behind here. Oh, it's so sad to hear. And I am going to go with Barry Newberry. And I think what's going to tip it for me is yes. the TARDIS set from Mask of Mandragora. Uh, the, the wooden TARDIS set. Uh, last time I had the Bricacci TARDIS set. This time I'm going to do with the stained glass, the Jules Verne, the brass. Beautiful. The wood, gorgeous, gorgeous uh, design by uh, Mary Newberry. Unfortunately, it wasn't used extensively enough. Should have been, should have been. Should have been, but it's a fantastic, fantastic reimagining. Totally, totally different than anything we've seen before in Doctor Who TARDIS interiors, console rooms. It's it's a thing of beauty, and and it really differs from all the other TARDIS sets that we've ever seen before or since because there isn't a time rotor. There isn't right. that that center element where it, it undulating up and down right. as they travel. It's 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 a it's a shaving mirror. It's <laughs> it's bold. It's different. The roundel elements are still there. When the doors are open, you still see the white time quarters. But this is sort of like this is. This is where Philip Hinchcliffe is moving Doctor Who for the next season. Right. Where it preludes Leela's Liza Doolittle right, uh, right, coming on right. board. And it's Sarah's second to last time in the TARDIS penultimate story. Right. But she is also at home in it. So it bridges that gap too. Yes. The other parts other parts of it, it, it it's in it's in it's a lot of location right. work in Port Marion. Uh, you have tunnels, you have the dais where the cult of Demnas is. Those are all very effective. But what sells it to me, why I chose this above everything else, is for Newberry's TARDIS design. Yeah, it was on my list as well. Um, I didn't add it in the end, but it's it's fantastic. And as you said, it's, you know, again, at the time when I was a kid, I did not like that set. Mm-hmm. I felt that the TARDIS is a thing from the future. And it should look futuristic. But, of course, it never really did look futuristic. It always looked as if it was from the time that it was actually from the 1960s, the 1970s. Mm -hmm. Um, What I love about this set now, it is a timeless set. And it has the TARDIS as a machine of magic as much as as a machine of science. Mm -hmm. And that explanation that the Doctor gives to Leela about dimensional transcendentalism right. you know, is an explanation of the beginning of Robots of Death, is, a, is an explanation of magic, mm-hmm. um, not an explanation of science. And I think it's just um, it, it just a, it's, it's a, it was woefully underused. And I think it's, it kind of sets the, the tone for the set design for the TARDIS going into in for the New Who era. Mm-hmm. Um, it set the tone for the Paul McGann TV movie 
um, but also going forward, it's because it sort of frees up what we think the TARDIS should look yeah. like. And I think it's a very, a very, very beautiful thing. And uh, yeah, a, a mm-hmm. kind of a high point of TARDIS set design, in my opinion. Yeah, his other sets for the serial are also nothing to sneeze at. I think, like I mentioned, the Temple of Demnos is pretty effective for a pagan cult site. And when they're having their ceremony, he has these uh, screens, these gauze screens that are in place that are being projected upon. So you start seeing this Roman temple materialize around it through right. uh, projection. So that's very effective of right. creeping creeping the viewer out of right. these guys are really powerful. And, of course, the whole Renaissance Italianate interiors are convincing enough. I'm not an expert. But it's, like I said, it's that wood Jules Verne Tardis interior yeah. that is fantastic so yeah. that is my fifth and final final choice hard decisions an excellent choice an excellent choice in the spirit of spreading my joy throughout the 70s <laughs> i have gone with another kind of slightly slightly outre choice here which is the keeper of Traken. that's the 1980 story isn't it oh really it is you get you oh can have God. it next time <laughs> wait a second it is a 1980 story Right, scrub that. I was thinking, yeah, you're right, 1981, of course. February, 31st of January, almost. Yeah, all right, okay, you're right, you're right, you're right. (laughs) All right, okay, we are going to rewind massively then, and we are going to go with another story uh, that actually has a kind of, it has a Traconite feel to it. Um, We're going to go with The Deadly Assassin. Ah. Yeah, yeah. Roger Murray Leach again. Roger Murray Leach again. You can't really escape the Roger. Um, Weirdly, again, the color of monsters is green. Um, The color (laughs) of Gallifrey is also green. There's this wonderful... It's emerald green. It's like the Wizard of Oz. It's like being under the sea in a kind of beautiful kind of green glass chamber. It just looks amazing. Um, I hadn't thought of Emerald City before, but you're exactly right. It is the Emerald City. It looks like, and this is the genius of Mr. Murray Leach, it looks like the Citadel of the Time Lords is what it looks Mm -hmm. like. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I like the original Time Lord control room from the Three Doctors. It's very it's 70s. It looks good in that sort of way. Um, but it does mm-hmm. look like someone's kitchen from the 1970s. <laughs> this looks like the Citadel of the Time Lords. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, a very judicious use of CSO. I'm thinking particularly the torture scene where the Doctor is out in this kind of void right. being zapped. Um, in order to confess in some sort of way. The Panopticon has never looked so large when it is introduced in, in subsequent uh, episodes. I'm looking at you, Invasion of Time, um, where it looks kind of weirdly small. It looks huge here. It looks yes. amazing. And then it falls apart at the end in a really sort of convincing way. But what, again, everyone likes, including me, about The Deadly Assassin is we also have an entirely another world. We have the world of the Matrix, which has also been designed by somebody, or at least... Um, you know, the director, I think the designer have probably got together and said, okay, this is what things should look like. Yep. And that is, you know, this kind of nightmare play, uh, play landscape of the master in the Matrix. Again, the contrast between those kind of brightly lit clay pit spaces and these kind of dimly lit green glass spaces of, of Gallifrey, uh, the Citadel of Gallifrey, perfect and just beautifully judged. Um, mm-hmm. Really, really good work between the designer, Roger Murray, here and the director, whoever that was, can't remember. So this is, I think, David Maloney? 
Uh, I'm, I'm going to, yeah, I, yes, yes, you're right. Yep, yep, yep. David Maloney. So not only is the Panopticon fantastic and it really conveys a sense of space, it's an Emerald City, but then the records room. Here we are, we're back again, yep. That green is reflected in the records room where the Time Lord Biog extracts are there. And that green theme is carried down into the Undercity. So it all just ties together and it's not these beige bland corridors that you get in Arc of Infinity or in the five doctors five doctors it feels like these are the masters of the universe in time and space the the walls literally could be out of emerald or some kind of precious metal or glass it feels like this culture the civilization is at their top and they have millions of years or hundreds of thousands of years of uh um, extracting wealth from the galaxy, from the universe, right. over time. Right. It just feels like they're at the top of the game in the Panopticon. And it is a, it is a small set made to feel enormous. Exactly. And I think, I mean, let's just go back to, you know, my criticism, as I said before, about the Time Lord Files in Colony in Space. This records room, it could have just been a bunch of filing cabinets because right. we've already established that that's how the Time Lords <laughs> keep their files. They keep them in filing cabinets. But no, it's actually it's properly designed. It's, it's, it's future, fantasy future, which is what the Time Lords are. Mm-hmm. Then, it's, you know, the, the Doctor is, it's a fantasy show. It's not a science show. The Time Lords are, are fantasy things. They're not a science thing. Their computers and their file keeping is fantasy computers and file keeping. Yeah. Um, and, and this is what is so beautifully designed, I think, here by, mm-hmm. um, by Roger. Yep. And another, uh, Sir Roger. <laughs> and another knight him. <laughs> for contributions exclusively to Doctor Who. <laughs> Only to Doctor Who, exactly, yep. So Perfect, yep. That's our five each. Uh, the elephant in the room, left on the floor, Kenneth Sharp's Robots of Death. I'm a little bit surprised that uh, neither of us chose it. Well, you trumped me. It was on the list, but I said to myself, if he goes for Claws of Axos, then that's his, and then if he goes for Kenneth Sharp and Claws of Axos, then I'm going to knock off Robots of Death. So, unfortunately, oh. um, you, you've been hoist by your own petard. <laughs> um, and we could have had a nice conversation about Robots of Death, uh, but you had to go spoil it all by picking um, the Claws of Axos. So, there you go. Well, I think we should have a nice conversation about Robots of Death. Uh, it's, 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 it's brilliant. Um, it's, you know, it's, I'm, I'm kind of amazed, you know, when you look at the, the kind of database um, that Sharp only did three stories. Because they're all absolute, I mean, the two that we have are absolute bangers. Right. And it means, okay, well, what must that holiday camp actually look like in action? Right. The use of pre-existing furniture, I mean, those sofas are, the whole thing is a, is a, the inside of that sand miner is a, it's, it's like, it's the kind of rooms that my parents' friends had on steroids. <laughs> so it's the 70s only just multiplied a million times, which what makes it... It's 70s with a lot of money. Which <laughs> Yes, it, it's very... It's, it's what Elon Musk's room would look like if Elon Musk had been Elon Musk, do we have? <laughs> and if he had taste, did, did, if he, had, if he taste. had taste, and if he was in the seventies, when well, I don't think we even had billionaires in the seventies, did no. we? Anyway, if we did have them, they kept themselves quiet, which is the way we like better. Yep, exactly. No, it's it's absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. And you know, again, we have a double decked 
the double platformed control space, a bridge, yep. like we had for Planet of Evil. Um, yeah. Brilliantly realized. Um, this is even far better than the bridge in Planet of Evil, though. Oh, yes. No, it's, I mean, it was far better than the Morestrians because everyone knows like, the Morestrians are very. I mean, they're 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 the opposite of whoever the people who live on Kaldor are, mm-hmm. who are you know luxury living people, where the Morestrians right. are kind of not luxury living people at all. So their bridge is <laughs> their bridge looks a bit. Cheap. But this bridge is gorgeous um, and looks really nice. And the interior of the la- la- of the sand miner is in- is actually. I mean, I think one of the things that we got certainly in the late seventies into the eighties, I think thanks to Star Wars um, and I think particularly the Alien Alien franchise, is that people in space. It had to look as if you were living inside, you know, kind of a freighter or some, you know, some, mm-hmm. a kind of ugly industrial space. So it's all kind of dripping and dirty and you're dripping and dirty and it's horrible. When actually, you know, hang on, these people are in the future. They've got bags of money. The place that they have to live in for six months, a year at a time looks amazing, as it should do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the Art Deco interiors, but I also like the kind of 70s stained glass that's right. sprinkled throughout in the private quarters. Right. Like I think in Zilda's room, which there's this beautiful mirror that has stained glass. And then you also have this, I don't know if it's stained glass or this, a portrait of a woman right next to it. And then with some of the camera angles, you're filming uh, reflections. There's the opulence there that is conveyed in the sets alone. And then when you double down with the robot design and then the costumes of the Sandminer crew, this is, like you said, they are spending some money because they want to be comfortable. They're stuck on the Sandminer for months, years, and they don't want to be in a alien freighter. They don't want to be on the Millennium Falcon. They want the creature comforts. They want to be uh, looked after while they're out working. Exactly. And I think this is a wonderful, you know, it's the it's the costume designer, it's the makeup designer, it's the set designer, and it's the director all working together mm-hmm. in concert with a, with a writer and a producer who they all know exactly what they should be doing, and they all do it perfectly. And that's what makes it a top five Doctor Who story yeah. because it's it's just unimpeachable and I've said you know that it's basically Agatha Christie in space which is fine because Agatha Christie is great and um, yeah and, and the, as, as I keep on saying the sets really sell it and they really add a depth as as you've said they, they add a depth to the characters which is what they should do yeah just like Tusa's shell bed it's this big open oyster shell where she's lying on this big circular mattress with lots of pillows, but behind her, the headboard is this shell. And that's different than all the other crew's quarters, I would imagine, because this is what Toos chose to be in. This is her right. private quarters. So th- there's these individual elements that tie back to these are individuals on the sand miner, and they have their own likes and dislikes and that comes across in their conversations or their in the tension between the crew members of they have their likes and dislikes of each other too yeah exactly exactly and uh, yeah and just the little kind of hints we get all the way through in the script and in the costumes and the designs this this kind of this idea that there is a whole culture behind um, what we're just seeing which is a microcosm mm, of that mm-hmm, culture mm-hmm. you know again means that we've had 20 30 or so kind of spin-off um big finish stories set in the caldor universe and the, in, in that in the robots of death universe mm-hmm. because it's obviously such a rich place to explore and you know and the, the sets are part of that 
Mm-hmm. The thing that I was saying about Horror Fang Rock sets where there's lots of use of curves, there's, again, lots of use of curves. Walls are curves. Passageways are curves. Right. Um, you have curved roundels. Rooms are at a, a round. You look at the bridge, it's more of a curved stage. Right. So it just feels more uh, like this is a real place rather than a set. So. I think it's probably the best set of the 1970s. Absolutely. With, when yep. all the elements are con- combined. Yep, I would concur with that. Yeah, it's it's it really... Yeah. It's a very strong era for sets, and yep. it's one of the good ones. Indeed, indeed. If not the best. <laughs> if not the best, exactly. Yep. All right. Right, there Super. you go. 11 excellent sets from the 1970s. Super stuff. All right. Thank you for listening to episode 230 of the Metabulous 2 podcast. I have been making tough design choices or fan choices of designs with Ben. And I have sort of been misunderstanding what the 1970s is. Though, technically speaking, 1980 (laughs) is actually the end of that decade. True enough. Because 1971 is the first year of the 70s. Because mm-hmm. 1970 is the last year of the 1960s. Mm-hmm. So 1980, it is actually, anyway, whatever. Um, I made a, I made a, I made a schoolboy error, uh, with David. <laughs> but, but the keeper is 81. Ah, it is. You get it next time. And I get you, it next you time. You have I get to it have time. it next time. <laughs> I, I, it will, it will be on my, spoiler alert, it will be on my list next time. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, until the 1980s, I have been talking with Ben. And I've been talking with David. Until next time. Goodbye. Super. Yeah, some good discussions there. Excellent. That was fun.